Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about David Lowry's The Green Knight. This was one of our most anticipated films of last year and of course was delayed due to the pandemic. You know we love A24 films around here. And uh, I am really happy to finally be getting to it and talking about this movie. This uh, turned out really awesome. We have two guests for this episode, both awards winners at this year's Cyber Shorts Film Festival, which you guys heard Daryl Armstrong was here on the podcast a little while back for the episode on The Empty Man. Uh, he is one of the co-founders of the Cyber Shorts Film Festival, and he had asked me if I could maybe have some of their awards winners come join me on the show, and it all worked out really well. We have Ian Ebright and Sina Delati. Ian won Best Director for his film The Devil Needs a Fix, and Sina won Best Screenplay for Terminal Love. And the two of them join me to talk puzzle pieces about The Green Knight. So that is coming up here in a second. Uh, before we do get to that, I want to remind you all, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods or wherever there's ratings and reviews for podcasts. That's awesome, too. Uh, make sure you share the show. Follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And with that said, we got a nice long conversation, lots of cool puzzle pieces to get into. So let's get to the conversation on The Green Knight. All right, so I'm here with Ian Ebray and Sina Delati, two filmmakers who are going to talk about The Green Knight with me today. Uh, but before we do get into all that Arthurian legend and all the crazy stuff that happens in this movie, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, David. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Daryl Armstrong from the Cyber Shorts Film Festival, who has been here on Piecing It Together before for an episode, he suggested having you guys because uh, you were both awards winners at this most most recent entry of the Cyber Shorts Film Festival. So uh, since it's both of your first times here on the show, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to start with Ian and then we'll go on to Cena. But uh, I'd like to have you both introduce yourselves to our audience here and tell us a little about you and your film. So uh, Ian, tell us a little about your film and about yourself as a filmmaker. Cool. My name's Ian Ebright. Uh, I wrote and directed uh, my second short film, which was called The Devil Needs a Fix, that ended up winning an award at Cyber Shorts this year, which was very cool. And it is 
My version, which is, I always kind of do a minimalist approach. I say always having made two <laughs> short films, which is the wrong word for only having made two, but let's say <laughs> twice. And with the current short film I'm about to shoot, uh, I kind of do a minimalist approach. And this is my minimalist approach to like a dystopian thing that's inspired by a uh, little C.S. Lewis, a little, um, I'm a little nervous to say this because I feel like this next example is going to be one of yours for the film, but <laughs> Under the Skin that, mm. and early David Mamet, uh, House of Games. And it's about a, a very blasé reporter who is about to get his uh, big break if his interview with the devil goes as planned. And, hmm. um, you know, from his gray wardrobe to the gray kind of palette, color palette of the film, it's commenting ultimately, uh, hopefully, if I wrote it well, on, you know, his, uh, this protagonist's inability to quote unquote, either sin, you know, either given to the temptation, or to either love. And in that way, it's kind of like this dystopian hell that he's created for himself. So that I don't really think gives anything away, but more explains about, you know, our intent behind it based on the references we were pulling from. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we shot it up in Seattle with uh local crew and some friends from LA and uh, I'm glad to see it still finding a life out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I love uh, getting puzzle pieces in an introduction of a co-host here on the show. That's, uh, that's <laughs> fun. That's a first. Uh, Sino, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners here? Uh, so yeah, I'm Sino Dolari. Uh, I am a writer, director from Toronto. I sort of dabble in between narrative music videos i've started doing some commercial work uh and also uh virtual reality which is which is funny because i was trying to submit a 360 vr short film mm -hmm. and i was searching for vr festivals which is how i found cyber shorts because i thought sure. it's a festival for vr films but it turned out to be a, a festival for you know 2d films in vr so i'm like yeah. oh this is cool i'll i'll submit uh, my most recent short film that I had uh, sort of uh, released, which was Terminal Love at the time. That, that film, we actually shot it in 2018, actually. And then mm -hmm. did a sort of a, like a modest festival with it. And then it was released in 2020. So when I uh, found Cyber Shorts, I thought it would be sort of the last uh, uh, festival that'll play out probably it's already available online yeah um, but yeah the film is it's a very simple sort of storyline the 10 minute real-time conversation between this boy and a girl and as we learn more about what they're talking about we learn that it's you know be going out for a while but it's not going to work out and then there is a very tarantino-esque at uh, twist at the end which uh i won't spoil for audiences of this podcast For but sure. uh yeah it's sort of the surreal romantic dark comedy is what i would call it and it was sort of uh a way honestly for a way for me to sort of laugh at you know my own insecurities at the time of like being young and you know going through your first relationships and whatnot mm -hmm. and um i thought i'll just explore this very simple scenario with a sort of a dark uh, lens of a dark humor sure and yeah 
Very cool. Uh, you know, before we get into the Green Knight, I do just want to ask you both quickly about the Cyber Shorts Film Festival and just what that was like for each of you. Um, just, you know, the whole process, like you said, you know, it not actually being a VR film festival, but a film festival in VR. I had a music video that played there uh, not this past year, but the year before. And, uh, you know, I certainly had a fun time. It was a very unique experience. So I was just wondering if uh, each of you could talk on that for uh, for a minute. Ian, you first. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, like, have to admit that, like, VR is not on my <laughs> radar at all. Uh-huh. Like, being the married guy with two kids, you know, they, your kids create a filter of what you have remaining time for. And VR mm-hmm. has not been. But, again... My producer, one of the producers on my upcoming short film, uh, Kelly, is deep into VR and we've gotten really close. And so it was always kind of like inching closer and it was a really cool first experience, which is probably like kind of pathetic to admit, but uh, it was a cool first experience with VR. And um, I don't know if alt space is like, uh, you know, that was the platform. I thought the whole thing was really like kind of cool though. But again, I'm... I'm relatively new going into it, so I was a little, like, surprised and delighted, like, oh, this is what it's about. Sure, sure, (laughs) uh, yeah. And I actually thought it was kind of cool, you know, more to the point, less about the technology, but I don't know, it was kind of fun interacting differently. You know, there's obviously, like, festivals that have been forced to go remote with COVID, yada, yada, but one that leans into it so uh, explicitly and has a different kind of interaction just kind of felt nice, Um, you know? Like of the moment, although they're obviously hoping to, you know, it's been running since before the pandemic and will continue after. But it was it was nice to like congregate and hang out in that space. Sure. So I, I liked it. Absolutely. What about you, Cena? You're more involved with uh, 360 video, you said, and VR type stuff. Uh, what, what did you think of the fest? Yeah, so uh, actually, because of work I do, I own a VR headset. So, and I have, I've tried out some out um, space events and whatnot. Um, so, when I found out about the festival, I thought, you know, that's that's pretty cool that you know I might actually have the chance to have my work shown at a VR meeting. And um, Ian, you said you're based in LA, is that right? Uh, I'm in Vegas, actually. You're in Vegas. No, oh, and I'm in. I'm in. Sorry for the misunderstanding, Cena. I'm in Seattle, but uh, oh, Seattle. Had sorry. Cast and crew, or crew in that instance, from no, sorry, cast and crew from LA. Yeah. How was the lockdown? Because it was like I think the festival was May first, but how was the lockdown around then for you guys? Like, were theaters open at all, or that was right when things were opening here? I think that mm-hmm. I think the same is true uh, yeah. for us. And again, you know, I live about five minutes outside the city. We're in a little bit of a bubble where. You know, I work remotely, so I've been I've been less finger on the pulse of open and close because our life kind of runs in this bubble anyway. Right. Uh, but that was about when we started opening up as well. Okay. Yeah, because for us in Toronto, we basically had like complete lockdown since December until uh, like mid June, and we had theaters open just about two three weeks ago. So mm. like having a virtual event in VR. May 1st was like the most exciting thing that was sure. like happening at times. Like there really <laughs> honestly wasn't anything going on. Um, so it was cool to be able to actually meet people virtually. I invited a few friends. It was really cool. Yeah. 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 Cause that is, you know, that's kind of, the the thing that makes film festivals exciting i mean the films are great it's always great to discover new filmmakers and all that but as a filmmaker it's like you really want to mingle and chat with people and you know the the online film festival doesn't 
always have that opportunity but this in a unique way really does kind of bring that back absolutely definitely yeah it was the best it was the best time for a vr event I'd say. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, let's start talking about the Green Knight. You know, first question, and then we'll start getting into some puzzle pieces. Uh, but again, we'll start, Ian, and go to Cena here. But was this a big one on your, like, must-see list? Like, as uh, the... Obviously, this is something that's been delayed for a long time, what with the pandemic and everything. But is this something you had been kind of waiting for? No. <laughs> okay. And I'm so ashamed to say that because um, it's... You know, I won't like telegraph where I'm going on the on the film, and we'll all talk about it. But uh, it's exactly the kind of film that I would have anticipated. Sure. Uh, uh, another producer on my upcoming short, uh, Chris Graham, loves David Lowry, the director, and was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, are you?" Re-, you know, basically asked me the same question: "Are you, you know, going to check this out?" And I was like, "What? What film? What right. director?" And he, you could just hear the like disappointed silence on the other end of the line, where he's like. <laughs> You don't know David Lowry, so I'm, uh, I guess, even worse than with the VR anecdote, like coming in, <laughs> <laughs> like really, really pedestrian on this. It's okay to be a busy guy and just, yeah, you, know, you, you don't always uh, catch these things at a time, you know. Well, and and now having seen it, like you know, I'm like, okay, I see what people, I see why this was anticipated, but we'll sure. we'll get into that. Absolutely. What about you, Cena? It it actually was at the time when they announced it first. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, just the general A24, like state of films. I'm a full-on this... fanboy over here, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, like there is, you know, the Facebook group by any chance, the A24? Yeah, which is actually based in Las Vegas, surprisingly. But, oh, uh, is it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, I At some point, I joined that group. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I love uh, Ari Aster movies or um, what's the guy, the, the guy who made The Lighthouse? his name uh, uh robert eggers robert, yeah, yeah. I, I i really like the movie so i'm like oh, let me just join this 824 group and then there is so many people just uh, it's obsessing over <laughs> any 824 movies so i was kind of hyped but but i will yeah. say this i will like generally i don't i try not to watch trailers if i know i'm definitely gonna watch a movie so i, mm. I didn't even go into it knowing much about it and anything that's a medieval themed in any way is so so far from my you know <laughs> just knowledge and taste in movies so mm-hmm. it's a really different sort of film so and you might kind of get that sense in my puzzle pieces too but i was gonna say like that's a really good setup but david i'm not gonna don't let me take the host mic from you but no no go, go ahead like we can't we can't sidestep a24 much longer like i feel like our puzzle pieces are going to run pretty hot and heavy in the A24 realm. Sure. At least mine were. I was like, oh, because the, the the examples came really quick. And then mm-hmm. after that, I'm like, I got a couple more. But anyway, it was yeah. like... It's a very A24 film. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I've been finding that a lot lately. We recently did an episode on Zola. Uh, and that that's a film where almost half of our puzzle pieces were like cannibalizing the a24 you know filmography and uh so it's an interesting i guess time in filmmaking at the moment but you know we're talking about pieces let's start getting into some of them we'll get into a lot of what the green knight is and what it has to say and a lot of the filmmaking along the way but let's start jumping into some of those pieces uh we'll go around in a circle here ian first cena second and then me third uh ian what do you have for your first puzzle piece here I mean, the the witch is, like, so on the nose. <laughs> it so works, it, though. 
Yeah, it does work. So I was like, okay, I want to sound like the smart filmmaker, but I'm going to cheat. So I go to IMDb before this. And I'm like, oh, it's, I knew, I, I thought that Kate Dickey, the actor who plays the queen, I thought she was in Midsummer, mm-hmm. but she's in The Witch. And uh, so there's that, you know, obvious bit of casting that she, you know, it has a pivotal role in The Witch and in this film. And then I know it's a little like dopey to say, you know, because a lot of the setting has to do with like forests and things, but particularly the way there's something about like the A24 aesthetic and the way that he captures the forest all the way down to like spells and the symmetry of the production design and even just like the arrangement of sticks. Mm-hmm. I won't say, but there's two films in particular that I know for sure you both are, I think you each are going to share the second one and The Witch that were like screaming frequently throughout the film. And at one point I was like, I don't know, is this like, I hear you say it worked. And it does like A24 films are real have a really strong POV and are gorgeous for sure. This was the first time like I kind of wondered if the homage was a little too strong because mm. I caught I caught myself thinking about it being a little too prevalent rather than being immersed in the story. And there's a lot to yeah. be immersed in. Interesting. So it, it was on the line for me. It didn't like take me out of it, but uh, my first two of three puzzle pieces were like so loud throughout the viewing that I was like, it felt, it felt a little, felt a little strong. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like, we get what you're doing. We get yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> it's like, I get, I mean, Hey man, if I ever directed something for a two, four, I would want to telegraph that I'm in that collection as well. So like, I don't blame him, but the director has enough of a POV that, you know, it's all subjective. One, like, you know, one person's, it worked as another person's it was a little much but yeah. it definitely wasn't so strong that it derailed anything for me i would throw in there also a lot of the like the artwork the texts things oh like that gosh. where you know totally. a, a lot of that was also very much in in that uh that line and then also you you mentioned one cast member but also ralph innocent was in uh the witch he plays the green oh, knight here yeah. uh joel edgerton was in uh comes at night alicia vikander is in ex machina so yeah we got a lot of these cast members, uh, Barry, Barry Keoghan, the scavenger character, he was in um, the really weird one with the spaghetti, <laughs> whatever that's called. Yeah, the movie's definitely uh, got the A24 vibes. You know? Yes, yeah. lots of vibes. In this, <laughs> There's sure. this whole conflict going on in the group. It's like all these people, like, oh, this, this thing's got the A24 vibes, and then there's this whole other group that's like, stop using that word. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're very prevalent here for sure. Uh, but Sina, what do you got for your first piece? Um, sorry, Ian, you said The Witch, and what was the other one? Well, I didn't say it yet because oh, yes, I, yeah, think, okay, okay. I think we're all going to choose it. But uh, <laughs> and, and David teed it up really well when he started talking about like the uh, topography and some of the scripting. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, very strong. We'll but, get there, I'm sure. Yeah, I think it's coming out. <laughs> okay, well, I got a few that are maybe more sort of unknown ones, uh, I, I, like, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily say they were influences, but they're kind of, it's what reminded me, and there's parallels, and it might be more talking points, mm-hmm. but there is this, it just came to me today, uh, so I'm, I'm Iranian, and there is this Iranian folktale called uh, Hassan Kachal, which means Hassan the Balt, for, for some reason he's bald, and he has this that's sort of his defining characteristic. And there's mm-hmm. actually a movie called Hassan the Ball from 1970 by Ali Hatemi, the director. And the, the reason I was thinking of this folktale in this movie 
was that at the core of uh, core of it, the Green Knight, one way you look at it was it's, it's a coming of age movie, right? It's it's sort of this young man getting out of his cocoon uh, and becoming an adult, right? And, and yeah. learning, you know, learning what it's like to sort of uh, get tested by these virtues and then make a decision by the end of it. And what happens in Hassan Kachal is this this guy who sort of has very childlike features. He, he's a very lazy guy and he never leaves the house. And what mm. his mother does is she leaves uh, a trail of apples. So Hassan loves apples. Yeah. She leaves a trail of apples, like maybe a hundred apples. It's very ridiculous, but uh, just from in the yard of her house to the street. And Hassan just follows the apples. And eventually, by the time he gets outside the house, his mother just closes the door and kind of puts him out into the world. And uh, I got reminded of that for this parallel to our protagonist in The Green Knight and his pursuit of knighthood. Yeah. And how Hassan kind of goes into the world um, and meets all of these characters. He faces love. And it's actually the first Iranian musical. Uh, as far as it's known, he, he meets a poet, and uh, there is this parallel of like him chasing more apples and how they're considered sins, which he kind of overcomes by the end of it. But anyways, not to get too deep into it, but I'm curious to hear if there are any other folk tales that you guys know of that might uh, be parallel to the Green Knight story. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to have one actually up next, but before we do get to that, I'm just curious, this uh, Hassan the Bald, I, I hadn't heard of it. Is, is the film adaptation of it good? Do you enjoy that movie? So I was actually kind of rewatching some parts of it today, but I don't think I've seen it since childhood. It's mm-hmm. just a very distant thing that randomly popped in my head, but it's on YouTube. The full thing is on YouTube. I can send it to you if you're curious. Cool. I, I don't think there is subtitles, but you can sort of it's a very visual sort of film. Sure. But the music and everything, it's, it's definitely like very unique. Yeah. It sounds really cool. And I could totally see how that story, uh, you know, definitely parallels a lot of what Gawain goes through in his, you know, his trials and tribulations to become a knight. Um, so I, I could definitely see where that parallel comes from. Yeah. Um, Ian, do you I have like, anything on that? No, uh, I like that. I like the, I like your description scene of the coming of age. It's just funny. I don't know. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. But now that you say that, that makes it really is. It really does have that component. Yeah. And kind absolutely. of that sense of like, you know, you cross a point where you can't go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of the tests in the film are kind of those moments of like before and after, you know, whether whether the protagonist succeeds or not. It's like, well, you can never go back to that innocence or that previous time or whatever, which is kind of a hallmark of coming of age. So that's yeah, that's that makes so much sense now that you say it. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of folktales and coming-of-age stories, uh, my first puzzle piece, I, you know, of course I was also thinking of The Witch, uh, like, like you already brought up, but uh, another movie where The Witch actually was a puzzle piece for when we did the episode uh, about a year and a half ago, I want to say, uh, Gretel and Hansel from Oz Perkins. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that one, but uh, 
it very much feels like, you know, what if we took that kind of A24 vibe to bring that up again, uh, take that and, and, you know, apply it to this classic children's story and uh, turn it turn it weirder, turn it darker, which a lot of these children's stories already are very dark to begin with when you think about them, but uh, make them even darker and also focus on some just incredible cinematography, fantastic score, um, just all of the technical details, just uh, really, really just going for it with all those things. But then like bringing it back to the story and the whole, the folktale of it. I mean, it really is, you know, like we were just talking about there, like a coming of age story here and, uh, you know, kind of coming into your own as you go through this journey. And in a lot of ways, that's what's happening with Gretel and Hansel, where the, uh, the, you know, focus has shifted more to Gretel and, and her story. And uh, along with that, another parallel that to me I found was just the way that along that journey, uh, she encounters all these people and really nobody is kind of trustworthy along the way. And they, they all have something that need to keep her on her toes in the same way that Gawain has to stay on his toes at all times because everybody's either trying to kill him or take from him or just send him on the wrong path along, you know, his journeys. And so I just feel like there's a, uh, a lot of parallels between the two movies, mm-hmm. even though Gretel and Hansel is pretty recent. And, you know, I'm sure that this movie, you know, with all the technical aspects of it was probably already in development for a while at this point, but uh, still, I think it's a good, uh, you know, comparison to make here. Right. What did you guys, what did you guys think of? I, I haven't seen that movie, but I'm curious. Uh, what did you guys think of the Fox's character as, as the, the sort of, spirit guy because i was i forgot to mention but in hassan kachal there is this figure that appears that mm-hmm. is um uh, his almost like lookalike in a different form and uh sort of his spirit guy and i'm like that's literally the fox's character mm. i thought that was really cool yeah i i kind of honestly wish there was more of that to be honest yeah that was really i think that was my, the most interesting element in the movie for me yeah yeah i liked it too there's some reference that like I'm gonna get after we end this. That's like <laughs> obvious and just waiting. But uh, because there's a lot of movies that do that. But I, I liked, uh, yeah, I like that component of it. I mean, no, normally when when there's a movie that people really get into, and like if for some reason I don't get into it, and their response is like, it's just the kind of movie where you just gotta kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. I find that like supremely irritating. <laughs> However. <laughs> I mean, and I think there's more going for this film than that. But I also felt with the example of like the fox as a spirit guide, like it's one of the good examples of like, uh, I thought the director did a really good job of like creating a experience that you just went along with. (laughs) Yeah. So anybody who would sort of overthink this, uh, I think the theme's pretty clear, but if for some reason they kind of skidded out on the whole thing, I'd be like, but it's just kind of this immersive thing that you follow with the character. Yeah. So... I'm violating my own rules, (laughs) but it was a good example of that. And the Fox, uh, the little, the little visuals that he used to move it along, I thought were really effective. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move on to another piece. Ian, what do you have for your next piece? Well, I'm not going to go back to A24 because that's, you know, I think, you know, I mean, maybe I will my last one if you guys don't go for the, there's, (laughs) you know, I don't, on this one, I'm kind of thinking of like more kind of classic literature and not knowing when when this source material was written mm-hmm. i kept thinking of i mean just as a filmmaker terry gilliam and obviously he's done don quixote and has tried to do it 
you know, at other times famously, which I think most people would agree is even more interesting than the finished film. Sure. But I was really thinking of like the kind of the classic stories. I don't know if they're quite fables, but um, Don Quixote, and I'm just going to put them together because they're kind of like Odyssey movies, the other or stories, the other literally being the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. In particular, you know, when he when the protagonist reaches the castle and there's sort of that like temptation scene that unfolds. That really, really reminded me of like the sirens in uh, the Odyssey. Yes. You know, where it's like, you know, I don't remember the rules of that, but it's something about, you know, if you lock gaze with them, you're toast, you know, they'll sort of lure you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked the seductive way that he kind of built that temptation in that scene. And that was the moment that really reminded me of that. You know, like these, one of you had said previously, like it's the journey where you can't really trust the intentions of, Yes. The people you meet along the way, um, which makes me think of another puzzle piece. But I've already given two, so I'll pause there. But definitely, definitely like those classic stories, Don Quixote and the Odyssey felt more apparent as it went on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that brings up a good question. We haven't really mentioned it. I mean, Sano, you said you're not really that big into like the medieval type films and stuff like that. But were any of you like King Arthur people like it? Because I personally am not like I don't. I'm sure I saw, like, Excalibur could definitely be a puzzle piece on our list. I don't know if I'm just robbing that from either of you guys. I haven't seen it, though, since I was, like, 13, maybe. You know, it's been so long. I I haven't seen really anything other than that Guy Ritchie movie that came out, like, five, six years ago. I haven't seen any <laughs> King Arthur stuff in forever. Are either of you big fans of, of that stuff? No, I had the same experience you did, where, like, at one point in the movie, it, it reminded me of Robin Hood, Prince mm. of Thieves, like the Kevin Costner kind of half successful half hacky movie of the 90s sure and then i was like well the only reason i'm thinking of that is because i don't watch stuff like this and that's kind of like the last (laughs) reference i would pull from because you know typically i would steer clear of (laughs) that period sure yeah same same for me honestly i kind of forgot that it has anything to do with it until after the movie i'm like oh okay it's like, oh yeah, that is King Arthur, isn't it? <laughs> like the only familiarity familiarity I have with it is the whole story of the sword and Yeah. That's funny. When I got home from the theater, my wife asked me if uh, Guinevere was in it, and I was like, I think so. Like, you know, I couldn't even really quite remember. <laughs> uh but right on. Let's uh move on to another puzzle piece here. Uh Sino, what do you got for your uh, second one? Uh so this one I actually do want to Go to go back to 1824. Mm-hmm. More again, more more as a discussion point to kind of discuss another thing. But uh, the second Ari Aster movie, Mid, how do you say it? Is it Midsommar or Midsummer? Midsummer. Yeah. Midsummer. Yeah. Okay. Midsummer. Uh, because in, in terms of its pacing and structure, it definitely reminded me of that movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what I've heard from about the Green Knight in terms of like reviews and feedback was. If you kind of go into it ex- expecting this sort of epic adventure action movie, you'll be disappointed. But uh, for for what it is as a as a visual poem, it's exactly that. It's a very poetic movie. Yeah. Uh, with a fairly loose structure, very simple storyline, uh, but a lot of uh, elements that carry a lot of symbolism, um, a lot of poetic weight. Um, and uh, uh, even with uh, Midsommar, the this sort of the wave-like structure of the characters, like uh, being in a state of hallucination and what's reality, and then reaching this sort of 
end goal at the end with the, the protagonist in Midsommar. I felt that very similar with, with Green Knight uh, about how he's uh, hallucinating a lot in the movie mm-hmm. and like seeing his own dead body, I think a few times, uh, or like when the fox starts talking to him. Yeah. Or like seeing the giants, for example. I don't know. Like it's, I don't know if they're necessarily like real elements in the world. Right, right. But yeah, I feel like uh, I was thinking of other films that are more, I guess, visual poems. Yeah. Um, but the only thing that came to me for more recent examples are as Midsommar. I don't know if you guys have anything else in mind that have this sort of loose structure. That was the one I was betting more than one of us, including sure. me, was going to say. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it's funny. I, For me, it was, I like what you're saying, Sina, the way that they unfold similarly. And for me, it was more of like a, a just a production design thing, right? Where I'm like, did they, did they hire the same? Like, I mean, almost almost the person that did like the paintings and stuff. It was just such a yes. And I think you'd mentioned David, like kind of the scripting and things. It felt so. Uh, that's also gets to my third thing. But there's like a real Nordic, which Midsommar or Midsummer obviously has, and this one felt like it drew from also. Yeah. Uh, sort of like this Nordic sensibility in the in the soundtrack and a lot of the production design. Sure. So that to me, yeah, I, I saw I, I thought of uh, Midsummer for those reasons. I I would say one other comparison with Midsummer is I I feel like a lot of movies nowadays have been quite sexless, and uh, these are two movies, both The Green Knight and Midsummer, that absolutely do not shy away from sex and things around sex and. It's kind of refreshing in a way. I mean, you don't really see that it very is much lately. Seriously, refreshing. Yeah, the same word I was going to use. <laughs> it's such a it's such a human thing, and I know, like, not to like beat the obvious drum about Star Wars, but I feel like you know that whatever you want to like, however you want to summarize the backlash to more recent stuff, and the way that it's been kind of sterile and sexless, in juxtapose with the earlier ones where there what were like love triangles and things. It's mm-hmm. like. Right, because these are these are you know core human things. So it's nice to see stories that like. I mean, that would be. I mean, that's kind of part of everyone's journey on some level. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And Ian, uh, you mentioned the soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a shine some light on that because I thought the soundtrack was amazing. Oh yeah, Daniel Hart uh, did this. He also did. Uh... David Lowry's last film, uh, A Ghost Story, which is one of my favorite scores of the last decade, honestly. I actually haven't seen that movie. Oh, really good. Yeah. But especially that score, though. So good. Yeah. That was that was the previous film that got my producer, Chris, really <laughs> irritated. He's like, but it's, uh, go, yeah, I now need to see Ghost Story also. Oh, says yeah. It's really incredible. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'll go with my next piece, which is actually The Revenant. Uh, the film that won Leonardo DiCaprio his Oscar. You know, another story of survival where any and everything and every person along the journey is just, they're all just obstacles in in the way of this character and his journey and this beautiful journey, uh, incredibly shot journey. And, uh, you know, just this strong central performance, which uh, Dev Patel is, you know, He's fantastic in this movie, and uh, he doesn't really get a lot of chances to shine over the years, but he definitely does here. And it just is the kind of movie where this person really has to like go in 100% in that character to to yeah. really sell just how difficult this task is that he's been uh, you know, charged with. 
that was such a weird experience watching him in this because I have, you know, he doesn't land on, I have not seen him in much. Yeah. He doesn't get a lot uh, of opportunities, it seems no, like. No, and I was like, man, he's so good in this. And it's not, like you're saying, it's an immersive role, but it's not really a showy role. Yeah. Which, you know, maybe that was a, a choice that, you know, he and the director kind of collaborated on. There obviously, you know, could have been more of like the uh, affected, <laughs> you know, route to go. But like he, he, I don't know, it was a really like internal performance. Yeah which I thought was really interesting because there's so much going on outside of him visually. But he just, I, so many times during the movie, I was like, man, he looks so old. And I mean that like as a compliment. It was like almost disoriented to see him so grown up. Yeah. And playing like a character of that age with such like command and poise so well. Like he just really kind of uh, embodied that role. Yeah, I and think I so haven't, too. My brain associates him with, you know, oh, he's, you know, he's in his 20s, you know, he's kind of a younger guy. <laughs> You know, he if he kind of gets the bit part, uh, but he was really, really. It was cool to see him, kind of center stage. Yeah, absolutely. And he looked really cool at the end with the, the white beard. Like he really killed. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, what do you have next, Ian, for your last? So piece? it's funny. I would say this. This is going to sound like a weird, like shameless plug, but Husky Rescue is a Nordic band. Uh, they're out of Helsinki, and they did the music for. Devil Needs a Fix, and uh, sincerely would have named them, even if they had no connection to my short. Again, like the Nordic sensibility of The Green Knight and the score and the way that uh, the sound mix and design and the score relied on kind of like negative space and wind and this really ethereal vibe mm. was like pitch perfect and totally reminded me of uh, this band that I love, you know, where they they mix a lot of having never been to like the Nordic countries, but having a romantic idea of it and wanting to go, you know, it's, it's almost like what nature would sound like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like this. So they, they're a folktronica band, so they sort of evolve it to have some structure, but it, it really, that sort of ethereal otherworldly score and sound mix and design reminded me of Husky Rescue a lot. Husky Rescue. I'm going to have to look, did you say folktronica? They're Folktronica, so okay. it's like, um, I'll, I'll send you some links. It's a little like singer-songwriter meets, I guess there's some folk in there, but to me it's like psychedelic kind of James Bond stuff of the 60s, and basically like the 60s mm -hmm. meets kind of electronic stuff now, but again, like very, very European. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Sounds cool. Well, you yeah. know, speaking to that kind of music, I mean, I guess The Northman we've got to look forward to, Robert Eggers' next film, so... Maybe that'll uh, dive yeah. into some of this kind of uh, sound as well. For sure. Yeah, I want to check the band out. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, uh, Sina, what do you have for your last piece? Uh, for my last piece, I want to actually sort of go back to something uh, Ian brought up earlier. Just um, I want to name two movies, up, but under one idea. Sure. Because uh, when we were talking about uh, just style and production design and, and the colors, and I feel like that's one of the, again, because... Like medieval stuff is really not my thing, but just seeing pictures from this movie and the trade, the early trailers, the, the style is what really gravitated me towards it. And I want to name two movies. One of them is uh, The Void, the 2016 movie. Sure. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but uh, it's by Stephen Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie. I'm hoping I'm saying their names right. 
and the Tim Burton movie Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I just felt like a lot of production design choices in The Green Knight. Uh, like, for example, in the castle, you have these really weird triangular windows that I'm just like, I don't think that's realistic. Right. Or I, mean, I don't think it's meant to be realistic. It's just like uh, a, a surreal, stylistic, uh, modernized take on medieval settings yeah and then same thing with the lighting like it, it, everything turns red for for like a second in a more dramatized scene which is why it reminded me of the boy which is this indie horror film uh that's also sort of along the lines of visual poetry but it reminded me of that in terms of its style and lighting mm. and i mentioned tim burton because of it, it almost felt felt like a more stylized, modernized Tim Burton style production design, yeah. Uh, with elements that, that are hyper exaggerated uh, and yeah. sort of renovated to fit a modern perspective of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. And oh, and also there's that there's that one character that looks exactly like the Queen in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, sure, sure. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's one character, if you look it up, the Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton, the Queen, there's one character in The Green Knight mm. that looks like 90% like her. And that's why it reminded me of that movie. I don't know if it was a direct reference. Mm-hmm. but Yeah, I'm not sure of the character name. But but yeah, every, everything, all the choices as far as like uh, design aesthetics are, are concerned, they all live like just to the right or to the left of, of normal or of realistic mm-hmm. or of like what you would expect it to look like. And, you know, definitely takes a lot of, a lot of those, uh, big chances like a Tim Burton thing would. And the void I actually haven't seen, but I've heard really great things about, and I know it's supposed to be a really imaginative, uh, piece of horror. Yeah. It's, it's definitely very cool. Like in terms of, uh, it's style stylistically, it's very unique more than story. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll go to my last piece, which I, I guess kind of just goes right along with those two, honestly. Uh, that's the work of Guillermo del Toro, specifically Pan's Labyrinth, but really across his entire career, a lot of his, you know, again, kind of like with Tim Burton, these like big choices that they they land kind of near reality, but off a little bit from that. And then, of course, especially once we start getting into creature design, uh, the Green Knight himself is just you know, absolutely awesome looking. And a lot of the other, uh, you know, the, the Fox we talked about, uh, the giants are just really, really cool creations. Uh, I, I was also thinking about bringing up Blade Runner 2049 for some of those shots of the giants just kind of oh, reminded me of that. Good, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's totally. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, they just go all in and huge on, uh, on design. Des- design is, I think like the key idea, like probably, I would have to imagine David Lowry's initial desire to tell this story is to go big on the design choices. Right. Do we have, do we know, I mean, I agree about like the Green Knight, the sound design around his opening scene, the way they bring him into that chamber is mm-hmm. in, in the editing, you know, yeah, is really incredible. Um, was that 100% practical or did they soup that up with VFX at all? That's a good question. And I, I don't know the answer to Cena. I don't know if you I, happen to know. I thought it was practically done just at a gut level. It looks but, like it, yeah. But I don't know. But it was really, it was really, really impressive. Yeah. The thing is when it's done well in, in post, it's invisible. So it's, it's hard to, to tell. 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think that does it as far as puzzle pieces. Uh, I'm just going to read down the list real quick of everything we just talked about, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts here. Uh, but, of course, we got some A24 things in there. We talked about The Witch to start it <laughs> off. Uh, we also talked about Hassan the Bald, uh, Gretel and Hansel, Don Quixote, The Odyssey, Midsommar, uh, The Revenant, the band Husky Rescue, uh, The Void, Alice in Wonderland, the films of Guillermo del Toro, and we squeeze Blade Runner 2049 in there as well. Um, of course, Arthurian things run through all of this as well, but the three of us are not experts in in those particular kinds of movies, <laughs> but they're in there, of course, and, and there's lots of it. I, I did happen to see an interview with David Lowry where he talked about Willow, actually, as a big influence on this, which I haven't oh. seen since I was a kid. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those that, you know, now that you say it, it's like it, that should have occurred. Yeah. That makes so much sense that Willow would be an influence, but I'm, I'm like, you haven't seen that probably since the early 90s. Yeah, exactly. It's now on my uh, watch list for the rest of the year. I, I definitely want to rewatch it. Like after, after having seen this movie and loving it, I, I kind of want to go back and just see how that holds up because yeah, it's been, I don't know, 30 years maybe since the last time. One last one to throw out that is like a bonus. Uh, I don't. I think that what did they do too? Right around the time of Willow, I feel like they did a couple of Endor movies that were like those made-for-TV Ewok spinoffs. Sure. And when the protagonist goes into the water, and it's like I think it's almost like a shot or two of it being him sort of being encased in ice before he descends, right, mm -hmm. to get the skull. Am I thinking of that right? Wasn't there like an ice like he couldn't get out? And so I, I he don't really remember those the, very well. I'm not sure. Oh, sorry. I mean, in uh, in this film, oh, when he goes okay. into the the water. There's a couple shots of the. He's sort of like trapped once he's in the water by ice at the surface, isn't that right? And then he goes yes. deep, and there's that all. Who knows? But there's very similar scene, and it's funny that he mentioned Willow because also in kind of the late '80s were those Ewok movies that had a super similar kind of sequence like that of being trapped underwater and sure. But who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you guys have any other uh, closing thoughts, anything we didn't quite get to uh, while going through the puzzle pieces that you wanted to mention uh, about what you liked about The Green Knight? I've also read uh, the director mention Monty Python and the Holy Grail being one of his general medieval influences in terms of his interest in the style. I could see that for sure. Yeah. I thought it's interesting because it's a completely different genre. But Yeah. I really liked the... You know how I don't really know how to describe it, but I guess really like sort of the resolution of the film. Mm -hmm. You know that we, I mean, it's almost like this Old Testament, like Ecclesiastes. Like, uh, you know, we watch him go through the like the life he almost have, and then he makes a different choice, mm -hmm. and, like a very miserable life based on his old criteria of success. I was really engaged in the whole film, but I really like, you know, I guess for some people they know the source material, and there's no surprises, but. Me not knowing the source material, I really liked the way that he kind of handled the treatment of that mm. and then went back to the protagonist, you know, facing kind of facing death with the Green Knight and then kind of the, the delivery of the line of the Green Knight of like, cool, well done, you know, right as it cuts to black. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I find myself like thinking about that since I saw it on Sunday. Yeah. Because you spend so much time, you know, like actual running time with this protagonist trying to attain something. And then the director does a really good job of showing you, you know, almost that like adage of like, be careful what you ask for, you might get it. Right. And just like the amount of time that you spend, I don't know, an hour and 40 to 50 
chasing something and then to kind of get it all so quickly and see how horrible it is. Yeah. Um, I really, I really dug that. I thought that was a cool, thought it was like kind of well handled there. Yeah. And it's a hard ending to pull off, I think, without like kind of getting a grown eye roll kind of thing, you know, with like, <laughs> oh, that was fake. You know, you could see yourself losing an audience uh, by trying to pull off that kind of an ending. But I really think, like you said, it's handled really well and it kind of gives you that point while also, you know, getting to where it's actually meant to go by the end. Right. And I think a lot of that, like you were saying, the makeup, you know, how good he looked really aged and De Patel's performance, like at any age in that was just like, he was just really, really, really good. Yeah. So he helped sell that whole almost montage at the end. Yeah. And uh, I'm feeling the ending might have been changed a lot because uh, apparently it was supposed to premiere at South by Southwest in 2020. Right. And that was canceled. And at the time, David Lowry hated the movie, from what I read. So he took six months to re-edit it to kind of get to a point where he would where he was satisfied with the movie. Wow. I feel like that style of ending, it might have come out in that process. That's my speculation. But Well, that's really interesting because I just read a headline, uh, again, not knowing this director as, as much as I should, that... You know, he said he basically almost gave up filmmaking mm-hmm. during the yeah. pandemic. And like the quote in the headline was, it was a very existential year. And that's a really existential ending. Yeah. You know, like, like, um, yeah, it sucks to lose, but it can kind of suck to succeed. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, what's it all mean? Sure. So you, Cena, you might be like right on the money. Like that might have grown out of. Because I, ju- I need to read that article. But yeah, I was just saying he kind of was ready to give up filmmaking. Yeah, there's a parallel in his own filmmaking career there. I, I, I have to assume, I, I'm not a filmmaker. I, I compose music for film. But I, I have to assume that after making a film, but then due to very strange circumstances like a pandemic, having six months to sit and tinker with it must make you hate the process of making films like so much i just can't imagine that being a positive experience <laughs> i mean for, for me it was i think for me it was more positive because i had two short films that uh, have been in post-production hell for so long yeah and just having some time off from the world just, just sit with them and figure them out i was able to get them done so, yeah well, that's I good know, i had a yeah the positive experience that, yeah <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that, this was great, guys. Thank you uh, so much for, for joining me to talk about The Green Knight. Um, Ian, why don't you tell people where they can find you and your work? Uh, my website, uh, brokentelegraph.com. And then, you know, it'll link out to my first film, From the Sky, an Arabic language film about essentially the war on terror in the Middle East and drone strikes and all that kind of stuff. It also has a link to uh, The Devil Needs a Fix, all of them for free on Vimeo. And uh, White Action News, which was a zero-budget satirical web series that we did during the pandemic. Um, But yeah, that's probably the best spot. Broken Telegraph will lead everybody to all the links. Awesome. And Sina, where can we find you? Uh, I post pretty much all my work on my website, sinadolati.com. That's S-I-N-A-D-O-L-A-T-I.com. And also, I try to stay engaged on my Instagram, which is also... My name, Sina Delati, and then an underscore, Sina Delati underscore. Uh, you know, I try to share, like, you know, resources. I'm going to start doing some article writing as well. 
uh, yeah, my website and my Instagram. And uh, Terminal Love is also available on YouTube. On my website, there is a big thumbnail that the film can be found at. Perfect. Well, guys, thank you again so much. And uh, if either of you ever want to come back and join me for another episode, uh, I'd love to have you back sometime. Cool. Thank you, David. It was really fun. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you again, Sina. Yeah, nice talking to you, too. And uh, thanks, David, for having us. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harrison. We co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best pictures, some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about The Green Knight. Make sure to go check out those guys' films as well as The Green Knight. You can find links in the show notes, of course. And, uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode. It is so great to have so many listeners out there. We have been getting a ton of new downloads, a lot of new subscribers. Um, I, it's just awesome. I love that there are people out there listening to the show, and I love making the show, and I'm going to keep making this show. So, uh Definitely make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts because lots of episodes coming your way. And if you do like what we do here, you should rate and review us. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser. New one is Good Pods. Um, there's some other apps I believe you can leave reviews for podcasts on. Um, if where you listen, you can leave reviews. Do it there. But those are kind of the big ones, I think, right now. But uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you really like the show, share it. Also, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And, uh, you know, we do have a Patreon. If you really love what we're doing here, you should check out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus content from this podcast, advanced content from this podcast, also stuff from my music career. Uh, I've got a, a couple albums in the works right now, including two already completed uh, soundtracks from films I worked on. So a lot of stuff coming soon. It will be hitting the Patreon first before it comes out anywhere else. Some of it's actually only going to be on the Patreon, like completely exclusive stuff. So lots of music career stuff happening over there. Also the other movie podcast that I produce, Awesome Movie Year. Uh, between seasons, they always do a bonus episode and it will be for the length of the entire next season exclusively on the Patreon. So that's for like a few months in advance. So uh, right now they have an episode on the 2003 film Old Boy, but there will be a bonus episode for the 1967 season coming in just a few weeks. So uh, yeah, check it out. Lots of great content over there produced by David Rosen. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. So we always close out these episodes with a piece of music. And like I was just saying about that soundtrack stuff, um, I actually, earlier this year, scored a feature film called Inexistent, which is currently in the film festival phase. And actually, at the time of this episode, this weekend, 
We'll be playing here in Las Vegas at the Las Vegas Premier Film Festival at the Galaxy Boulevard Theater. I am definitely going to go check it out. I'm really excited to see the film with an audience and, uh, you know, just getting to see the film completed really is awesome enough, even without an audience. But uh, it's going to be especially great to see it with some people and on the big screen. And I'm really proud of the work I did on this film. And I don't know when everyone else is going to get to see it. You know, it's currently doing the festival rounds, and I'm sure they're working on trying to get distribution and all that. Once I do know, you'll find out. But also, once it's out there uh, for the rest of the world to see, I have completed work on turning the score into a soundtrack album and that will be one of my future albums it will eventually come out as its own standalone release and i'm going to close this out with a piece of music from that how about that um this is a piece of music from the film score it's called visions of us is the name of the track it comes somewhere towards the middle of the film uh just as things are starting to fall apart for our main character but i'm not going to give away any spoilers of course uh when the movie comes out you will see it and maybe we'll talk about it here on the show but uh yeah so this is from inexistent which if you're in Las Vegas and you're hearing this on the Friday that it comes out, uh, you should come to the film festival, the Las Vegas Premier Film Festival. Uh, it's this Saturday at 1230 in the afternoon. Uh, but if not, uh, just enjoy the track. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.